Hey there, Foster Care Nation. This week's podcast is with Melissa Booth, better known as Madame Voodoo in our area. Madame Voodoo owns a tattoo shop where I got my very first tattoo at the age of 30-something. As you can imagine, sitting in a tattoo chair, you have a lot of questions and answers and conversations and stories that get passed back and forth. When she found out that my wife and I were a foster family, she shared some of her story. Her brother died in a house fire. After that, while her mom was struggling with the issues that raises, she went to stay with her aunt for a while. While in her aunt's house, she became a foster parent and over the years had 64 different foster kids live with them. She learned a lot of lessons during that time, especially around creating good in the community and trying to inspire others, even when it means helping the hateful. She also talks a lot about raising good humans, protecting kids, especially in this distracted generation. If you'd like to find Melissa, you can find her Facebook page at Madame Voodoo's House of Inc. You can also find her on YouTube, the new show premiering in June of 2020 called Tattoos and Turnpikes, where her shop was spotlighted. You can find all those links in the podcast notes, either on this episode in whatever podcast you're using, or if they don't happen to show up there, go to fostercarenation.com and click on the link for podcast notes. Also, we have a Patreon account. If you guys would like to donate a couple dollars, that would be amazingly helpful. We're at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. This podcast is a wild ride with a woman with an amazing heart to change her community. Foster care and on Bella Junior! We like to talk about all things kid-related, whether it's foster kids, bio kids, adopted kids, step kids, or anything else. I think the information you'll learn here will be very valuable. We like to bring you guests who have either been foster kids themselves, lived with foster kids, or maybe even people who are helpers, like psychologists and caseworkers. If you have a story that you'd like to have highlighted on our show, please feel free to contact me at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We can chat and set up a time to do an interview. I'd love to be able to tell your story. We're here to inspire you to become the best parent that you can be, whether that is a step-parent or bio-parent or foster or adoptive. What we really want to do is change the world for the better and leave it in a better place than we found it. Now on to the show. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey with Jason. And Amanda. Today, we're here with a gal that we have known for a little while. Her name is Melissa Booth. Melissa is a uh, tattoo artist that we met here in town. She's actually the one who gave me my very first tattoo. And she has given my wife... Several. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Several, several. And as you might imagine, (laughs) sitting in a tattoo booth, well, yeah, in a booth with Miss Booth, um, also known as Madame Voodoo. So if you look her up on online, you'll find her as Madame Voodoo's House of Ink. But um, you sit there and have her work on you for a while and you end up with a lot of interesting conversations. Amanda and I have been doing foster care and and uh, living the adoptive life for the last decade or so. And when we met Melissa, I think we had just been into it for a very short time, but it was something that, that came up in the conversation sitting in a tattoo chair. And Melissa looks at us and she says, oh, I, I was in a foster home. And we go, huh, really? And then come to find out her mother did foster care and she grew up alongside a number of foster kids. And it led to a lot of interesting conversations over the last several years sitting in a, in a chair getting worked on. So welcome, Melissa Booth. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So how are you doing today? 
Well, I am doing very well. I am practicing social distancing right now. I never <laughs> thought that that would be a thing we would talk about, but here we are. I'm at home and I'm chilling out, drinking coffee during the day. And um, I want to say I'm living the dream, but this wasn't what I dreamed that life would be like. <laughs> but, you know, I'm making the most of it. And unfortunately, can't. Uh, I have a business that doesn't allow me to be an essential worker. So I get to stay home and uh, hanging out with the husband right now. I mean, if you want, you can come over here. I, you know, I'll let you do some ink at home if, if you if you <laughs> if you need the practice. But only if you go to right. the kitchen, right? <laughs> no, we're going to the basement. <laughs> oh, please don't make me be that tattoo. <laughs> I would never make you be that. You're above that one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, we are, uh, you know, we, we've known Melissa for for quite a long while, and she's always been involved with charities, always been involved with health in the community. And so we, we wanted to bring her on here and just get her perspective from growing up in a house with foster kids around her. I, I know you said your mom used to take in mostly kids who were born from addicted mothers. Is that right? Um, that's right. Yes, she, um, my, it's, it's actually my aunt, but I lived with her my whole life. And she, I call her my mama, Anne. Um, but they were, her and my uncle were foster parents. Uh, and they were featured quite a bit on on various programs and TV because they had taken in quite a few foster kids. Uh, in my life and living with her, we took in 64 different foster kids. And uh, most of them were, she would get them from hospitals. They were born with um, cocaine addiction, crack addiction, um, different drug-related uh, addictions. And so she would take them in and, and keep them. And that was the majority of who who she brought in. We had quite a few um, different scenarios. And through the 64 kids that came through the, the house that we kept as foster kids, she did end up adopting four of the four of the kids, so they were my my siblings. So we had four different um, different kids that we adopted and and lived with us for the long term. Wow, you kind of glossed over that. You said sixty four kids, sixty four different foster kids. Yes, yeah. so wow. quite a quite a few. Can you name them all? <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> I could name the ones that we adopted. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we, we laughed because um, I actually talked with uh, one of the workers recently, and she gave us a number of how many kids have come through our house because Amanda and I would sit down a lot and try and count them all up and remember who it was. And, and we still struggle to remember all the names and all the different situations. It's just... There's so many different stories. Well, and there was one kiddo that they didn't even know his name. He was an infant and his little sister was not articulate enough to say his name clearly. So we had one, one set for 24 hours that we really didn't know how to pronounce her name and a baby with no name. Yeah, that's true. Oh, wow. So, but. Yeah, you see so many different scenarios and just... It, you know, each one just breaks your heart to see where they, where they are, where they've come from. And we adopted two 
it was a it was actually three siblings there were two two girls and a boy we adopted one of the girls and one of the they were a very high profile case back in the early 80s of a satanic cult and uh they were the children of a satanic cult and the parents were going to sacrifice one of them for this um satan worshiping cult it was all over the paper but we adopted two of the three siblings uh the oldest daughter ended up being in a um she ended up being in a mental institution because she was going to be the i guess the the as the oldest one of the daughters was going to be the one that was going to be sacrificed and uh so she to this day is still in a mental institution from that oh wow yeah that's pretty crazy yeah yeah when we got um and i was and I was older, you know, so I was an older child. I was basically, my aunt called me her oldest daughter. And, and at the time I was in my late teens. So it was a very relevant time for me. It wasn't like I was a little kid and I was seeing this. I was old enough to know, you know, the stories and, you know, 16 to like 22 that um, I lived with her and helped, helped her with the kids. Um, but the ones, the two that were siblings, um, we got them and, and the the boy, uh, he, at the time, he had been locked in a closet for weeks. Um, he was the parents of the satanic cult. They loved the daughters. The daughters were, you know, basically what everything revolved around. And he being the boy and he was the youngest, um, when they found him, he was locked in a closet um, for weeks and in his own feces and they were feeding him dog food under the door. I mean, that was the condition, you know, these kids when we got them. So it was, uh, it was pretty tough and a lot of years, a lot of years and of um, uh, going to psych, you know, psychiatrists and, and therapists to get him to where he could function. I mean, he was, so malnourished when we got him you know you see the pictures of ethiopian children where they're so skinny but their bellies are so distended and that was the condition you know of a kid of the boy but the girl you know she was just healthy looking i mean other than you know you could tell she just was she was going through some stuff but she didn't look anything like her brother um but you know, that was just one of the scenarios, um, but it, because it was such a high profile case and was in the paper and, you know, all the media, um, it was, it's probably like my, you know, when I talk about foster kids and just having seen some stuff, that is the case of all of the ones that we've handled that, that stands out the most. Wow. I thought we'd seen a few things, but I don't think we have any, any potential child sacrifices and any of our experience that's that sounds weird just to say um yeah you know it's it is just you know to talk about it and to have lived it and you know we we ended up adopting those two um and then unfortunately three years ago uh the my sister uh she died of a heroin overdose but the you know her brother who uh, is still with us, you know, he's, 
he's functioning. He's, you know, he's much better, of course, but, you know, it was years of getting him therapy to get him to, you know, to be able uh, to talk. He wouldn't talk for, for years. He didn't, he barely talked, you know, he just was so abused and you see, I mean, these are the most extreme of extreme cases, you know, of foster care, but I've seen it all. I've seen so many different scenarios and, you know, gone and dealt with the visits and, the, you know, to, and of course that, that particular family and their circumstances were so horrific and just, they were the, the parents that when you're in when when you're a foster parent and you have to deal with the visits and you have to deal with um you know caseworkers they were the most extreme that you could think of where it was you had you didn't want them to know where you live like the parent you know the people because it was they were just so horrific they were just um the most evil of evil people so of course it was the most extreme case of fostering I think if you could ever imagine and just how careful you had to be because these people these parents were just so evil on a level that like when you put somebody in the national paper for being that evil you know you've got some problems and you've got to take precautions so you know like I said I've seen it from so many different sides of okay this is you know this is a bad situation and this you know and these poor kids that was about as horrible and as worse of an extreme as you could possibly get. So, yes, I've seen some stuff. Yeah. Now you said you were in your late teens. I, how did that affect you? Do you think uh, coming through your late teen years? Cause that's, that's a pretty formative time. You know, we, we talk a lot about the developmental stages and everybody knows early childhood development is there and the toddler years and, you know, but, but the teen years are pretty, pretty important developmental stage too and and a lot of that lasts on up into the what the the late mid mid 20s now i think that they're saying that the part of the brain is still developing so i can only imagine yeah. that that had to have a profound effect on you as you're as you're going through a, a stage like that in your own life well i think you know for me personally i i like i said i was pretty much raised by my aunt um i i have a, bio, a biological mother who i now have a much better relationship with but you know, when I was younger, um, when I was when I was very little, I had an older brother and we had a house fire and he died in the house fire and the firefighters were able to save me. And so I survived. My older brother didn't. Um, my mom, unfortunately, through, you know, we, when you lose a child and Lord knows I'm going to knock on what I hope I never have to experience that. Um, you're not, you're not ever right from that again. And so I basically went to live with my aunt because my mom just really, she, she lost it, you know, and rightfully so. So I grew up with my aunt and my aunt was a very, my aunt was unable to have children of her own. So my aunt from the day I was born always pretty much treated me like I was her child. And so she gave me a lot of love and she had a lot of love to give. And so living with her, um, I, I knew her situation and her, you know, that she couldn't have children of her own. She looked at me as her, as her child. And I was the oldest of anyone in our family. I was kind of the oldest child of, of grandchildren or nieces and nephews. And so I was very fortunate to have that love from her. 
and know, you know, how important it was for her to feel like she had children. Um, and so, you know, she took on the role of a foster parent because she did, you know, I think it, when I was growing up, there was a time where um, her and her sister, my mom, had issues with each other. And so I was kind of yanked back and forth. And if my mom got mad at my aunt, it was real easy to make me come back home. But when things were good, it was go stay with your aunt. And I would live with her for, you know, I lived with her for years. And then it would you know, my mom would pull me back and go, you need to come back here. And, and so I saw the side that my aunt was very passionate about children and decided she wanted to have foster kids and she wanted to help people. So I, I witnessed that from young and going into my teen years when it just became very apparent. I was, you know, my, I was going to stay with her and spend all my time with her because I really just didn't have that emotional connection with my own mom and my aunt to me was my mom. Um, so in the aspect that I had, I had love. I had, you know, I saw somebody who wanted nothing more than to have her own children and she wanted to help as many children as possible. I, you know, I was there for day one of the first foster child she got. And we got, um, we got her, uh, she's our, she was with us the longest. Let me just put it this way. She wasn't the oldest. She was with us the longest, but we got her when she was nine months old. And I remember, you know, walking her, the social worker, bringing her to the house and her coming in and this nine month old, beautiful little baby girl, um, dressed in this little roughly yellow dress and, and my aunt just crying, thinking, wow, this is my first foster baby. And, you know, and I felt like that was my sister and, oh, we got a new baby in the house. And, uh, so, you know, just being there from the get-go, from day one, when she went on this foster parenting journey and the kids coming into the house and each one, it was like, you know, we just embraced it. It was like, oh, who is this? And how can we, you know, get to know them and what can we do, um, you know, and how can we help them? It was, um, it was a stage of, you know, of growing for me and learning compassion and learning um, you know, I, that's, I think really the core of what made me who I am and wanting to help people and having the heart and the passion for children. I mean, children are always, you know, if it comes to charitable acts, then, um, for me, there are just certain things I'm very passionate about. Children are, are top of the priority. If it's a, a charitable, uh, effort to raise money for children I'm always in on that especially when it comes to foster kids and adoption you know and things like that because I did you know I was raised with that mentality of of helping kids who can't help themselves and who really need love and passion and you you've always been so awesome when it comes to you know when I've come to you and said hey Melissa we have a need you know you've collected items for our foster group You've adopted children for, you know, Christmas for our foster group. You know, Madam Voodoo's has always been really awesome when it comes to helping us out. And, you know, shout out to you. We always appreciate that. And you've always been a kind, giving soul to our community. You know, and that's why we really wanted to talk to you and get you on here so that people can hear the great things that you do. Well, I, we I appreciate it. I people like that. We need more people with compassion for the world. 
I, I agree. I, you know, and I try to do what I can and I really, whether, whatever your thing is, and I tell people, you know, find that thing. Everybody has that, that thing they're passionate about, take it, embrace it, and then grow it. And for me, again, it's always going to be children. It's always going to be foster children and adoption and first responders um, are my other uh, passion because my son is a firefighter. So, you know, it's about finding that thing that makes you passionate in a way to help your community and a way to give back. Uh, Because for me, I'm passionate about helping others and giving back to my community. And, you know, my community is so good to me. I can't say enough about where I am and the people of, of the community. I'm in Warrington, Missouri. And I remember when I first got my tattoo shop, I lived in Lake St. Louis and my shop is in Warrington. And I didn't know much about Warrington, but I knew I had a shop here and that was that was my extent of the community. And people would say to me, oh, where are you from? Are you from here in Warrington? And, you know, initially it was, oh, God, no, 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 no. I live in Lake St. Louis. And... <laughs> As I, as I, you know, and as I became more part of the community, I thought, wow, this community is so great and they're so good to me. So, you know, I went out on my way to buy a house here and to become part of this community because, you know, I saw what potential it had here. And, you know, so I, I really wanted to do as much as I could for this community because I felt like they've just always been very good to me. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's really awesome. Jason always has a question for just about every podcast interview that we do, you know, and I can't even ask the question now because you, you've said it, but he always asks everybody, you know, what sets your soul on fire? You know, and whatever it's that is, go out and do that, and you're doing that, and that's awesome because yeah, most people don't embrace that. You know, most people are scared to to grab that and do anything with it. But you're not. You know, people, you're, people don't know what to, you know, where they can help. And it's, you know, we always say be a catalyst for, you know, for change. Always, you know, when you throw when you throw a stone into a pond, you know, the littlest ripple becomes the biggest wave. And it, it's about starting small. You know, nobody expects you to conquer the world overnight. But you know, you can make changes, you can be part of a bigger catalyst for change by the smallest action, you know, and, and, and I've always tried to, to be a leader, be, you know, I always lead by example, and that's what I, that's always what I try to do, you know, I always want to lead by example, and, you know, it's the littlest thing, and, and people they want to be overwhelmed by the thought of changing something. And it's not even about changing everything. It's about, about that one little thing you can possibly do to make a difference, you know, take and adopt that one child at Christmas time and, and provide them a Christmas. Um, Nobody says you have to take on the entire foster care system. Nobody says you have to provide for all of Warren County, but you know what, if you take one child that you're passionate about, you know what, I'm, I'm passionate about infants. I'm passionate about teenage, you know, teenage boys, you know, having uh, opportunity or whatever that thing is, find a way to just pick that one little thing and start there. And it becomes a catalyst for a bigger thing, you know, um, 
taking one child one year and saying, I'm going to provide Christmas for this one child. And then next year, I guarantee you'll find yourself finding a way to do more. You know, try. It's always about pushing yourself, pushing the limit of how much more can I do? Because you know what? Last year, it felt really great that I provided Christmas for a seven-year-old boy. You know what? Let's try to provide Christmas for three seven-year-old boys this year. You know, push yourself, but you got to start somewhere. And it and it's okay to start small. And it's okay. You know, I know I watch on social media a lot and I'm a huge advocate for doing for others because for me, it's the most rewarding thing I can do. I, I derive pleasure doing for others. The world needs to see more people doing more things for other people. And it, to me, it's okay to kind of toot your own horn and say, hey, guess what? I did this because you never know who you're going to inspire by saying, hey, I did this today. I feel good. I did this today. And then, you know, it makes an awareness out there that, you know what, maybe I should do this. You know, maybe I could, I've got the means that I could help a few people. I could help a few kids in foster care. Um, you know, so that's what it's about for me. You said something there that the idea that, you know, you can't change the whole world, right? And when we had, I think we were adopting the third or fourth kid, you know, and people said things to us like, Oh, you know, you can't save them all. You know, you can't save them all. And I, I love the, the response I heard somebody else give and I've kind of adopted is, you're right, I can't save the whole world. But for one kid, I can change their whole world. And that's, that's what you're talking about is, is what, you're, what you're doing isn't necessarily attempting to, to change the whole world. I can't single-handedly change the entire world, but I can change one person's entire world. And I was doing the right. research recently you know, to change that world from one kid, um, you know, just a handful of names off the top of my head. Um, <clears throat> if you remember Run DMC from back in the day, yeah, DMC actually stands for Darren McDaniels, and he was uh, he was adopted. Um, he also uh, he mentioned he tells his story. He's been uh, he got connected with Sarah McLaughlin, and they they did some work together. Come to find out, she was also adopted. Willie Nelson was another guy who was in foster care. I mean, just imagine where our world would be. If some of the, I mean, the list goes on and on. Marilyn Monroe was an adopted child. You know, imagine how different our culture would be if somebody hadn't stood up for some of these cultural icons that we have in our, in our life, taken a little bit of their time and given some of their, their experience and time and money and given their family to a kid to be able to have a place to grow up and become what they were meant to be. Because that's exactly that's a line Amanda's talking about really is, it's actually, it was in the intro for a while. I don't know if it's still in there or not. I'd have to look at it. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, for us, we feel pulled towards foster care and kids, right? And if somebody feels that way, man, that's what you should be doing, right? That's what sets our soul on fire. But if that's not the thing that sets your soul on fire, figure out what that thing is and go do that because that's what you're wired to do. Whether you want to call it God or the universe or whatever, we're all wired for something. We're here for a purpose and you need to find that purpose and go do that to the best of your ability and you'll change the world. It might, it might be through that ripple effect. You know, you will Very change. True. Yeah. You will change the world through that ripple effect. The difference is, is that, am I going to go out and do the thing that sets my soul on fire and watch that ripple effect change the world the way I want it to? Or am I going to, is my ripple effect going to look more like the dad who was drunk all the time, who was uninvolved, 
whose kids grow up and say, I never want to be like that man. You know, I'm going to have a legacy behind me, you know, and the line I love is that you're writing your obituary today. And that's so true. And from getting to to know you and, and the guys at your shop and seeing what you guys do to help people out. I mean, that's, that's what you guys are doing. That's, that's why it's such an amazing thing because you realize that today and probably a lot because, because of your, you know, your aunt or, or mom, however you, you refer to her now, and your experience with all those kids coming through, you, you understand the, the size of, of importance of your behaviors and the way you interact with the world around you. And whether you do it in a selfish, self-centered you know, way where you go out and it's all for me, or you go out and you, you try and help somebody and change their entire world around. That's so true. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, there's just so much that can be done out there and I can't implore to people enough. Uh, and I'll give an example of, I think more, it was probably a moment in history that was pivotal to me to realize that I needed to have a greater purpose than, than what it was, what I thought I had at the time. Uh, a very, very close friend of mine passed away some years ago and and him and I, we ran a parallel life. I mean, we lived together. We worked 11 different jobs together. We were both travel agents. I know we, we were the exact same age. I mean, within like a couple of weeks of each other. And so our lives ran absolutely parallel. And when he passed away, in the fact that him and I lived together, we worked together, we had so much that, I mean, we just ate live and slept together I mean and, and not literally we did not sit together but beside <laughs> the point we uh, uh, we ran this life together and when he passed away hundreds of people showed up at his funeral and the difference I thought at the time and, and at the moment I thought, wait a minute, I didn't know he knew all these people. I mean, there, there were probably four to 500 people at his funeral. And I thought, how does he know? So we, we work together. We live together. I thought I knew everything about this guy. But one thing about him is he was very involved in a lot of charitable things on the back end that I wasn't really involved in. And when he passed away and I saw a good four to 500 people at his funeral, I thought, holy crap, if I die tomorrow, how many people would care enough about me to be at my funeral? Like, how much of an impact have I had on people and other people's lives that they would come to my funeral? And he, that moment was a pivotal point in time where I thought, that dude was living life right. He was doing things on the back end and he was doing all of this charitable and he was always, you know, doing stuff to get together. You know, if somebody's kid was, you know, in the hospital and, you know, and their hospital bills were crazy and he would do some kind of benefit and he was behind, he was like the backbone of all of that. And I thought, here's this guy, we live a parallel life together. We're, you know, I mean, just from moment forward, you know, day in, day out, we're, we're at the same place. We're living in the same house. We're doing the same things. Other than the fact he kind of had this thing going on the back end where he was doing all this charitable stuff. 
And I just remember thinking at that time, I had no clue that this kid that was the same age as me impacted so many people's lives that this kid has got more people than I ever dreamed could be at somebody's funeral. And if it were me in his place right now, what would I have accomplished that, you know, would, would have people care that I cease to exist anymore? And I thought in that moment, you know what, you need to make some changes in life because you know, I want, when I'm done with life, when I've, when I've done everything there is to do, and it is time for me to leave this earth, I want to have impacted so many people's lives. I want them to go, you know what, she made a difference. You know, she really did some things to help some people. And how can I live my life to the fullest and make as many people stop and go, you know what, this woman cares and she's, she's doing stuff and making things happen. And from that moment forward, I always pledged that I would carry on his legacy and do, and do for as many people as I could. And, you know, in ways, whether that be known or not known, you know, whether it just be this, I did it on the, on the back end, you know, and nobody knows I didn't, we're not going to talk about it you know, or, or people find out or I say, Hey, you know, today I feel good. I did this. Um, but I knew I wanted to carry on his legacy of doing for others because, you know, in that moment of, of grief and loss, that was just so profound to me to figure out that this kid had done so much for so many that everybody stopped everything. And like the world stopped to recognize this kid had made a difference in so many lives. And so ever since that moment, I have just, I vowed that that's, you know, what I'm going to do. I, when I'm, when I'm done with life, I want to go out and I want to be proud. I want people to be proud and my, my kids to be proud and my family to be proud of who I was and what I accomplished in life. You know, I was listening to a guy a while back on the radio program and he talked about as one of the uh, things that we as humans have a need for is that need for transcendence you know, to, to reach towards something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's, that's what you're talking about. Is that just that, that need to know that <clears throat> what I'm doing isn't just so that I can make more money so I can have more things. I mean, anybody can do that. If you really put your mind to it, anybody can be a millionaire if you go put your mind to it. But, you know, it's that old, that old picture you see with, uh, you know, the U-Haul behind the hearse, right? You don't get to take it with you. And we know that we have to reach out for something bigger than ourselves to make our lives really have meaning. Right. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that's more than anything. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm doing that, but I'm hoping I'm inspiring people to do that. You know, it's about not only just doing it, it's about inspiring people, you know, and I get people all the time. I, I, I joke, you know, and my family jokes, like you're a public figure and, and this and that. People know who you are. People know Madame Voodoo and they know who, you know, who you are. I just more than anything hope that people do see, you know, because I, I try to walk the good side of life. I try to walk, you know, I, I joke about, yes, all my friends are, are law enforcement and, and first responders and I stay on the good side of the law, you know, but um, <laughs> I just hope that I inspire people. Uh, to want to do more, you know, it's, it's that I, and I do things out there. I'll do things and I'll, you know, I'll do things on the down low and, and, 
there's a certain happiness in doing it and knowing that you did it discreetly. When he knows that it happened, except for the person that's the recipient of that, you know, Lord knows I did something for somebody. There was a, a woman and she was, we were in a store uh, in a restaurant and she was so hateful and she was just, just watching her. I think I was, I was just mortified and blown away that somebody was so mean and so awful to people in general because it was like this woman I don't know if she was just having a bad day or what her problem was and I she had said something to me that was so wrong and so rude and I thought you know there are two ways that that we can go with this but I'm going to take the high road on this one and and so I went and paid for her food and it was like she'd ordered stuff for takeout or whatever. And it was like she was waiting for her order. And so I walked ahead of her and I paid for it. And the woman was so just blatantly rude that spun around when she found out because the you could see that the woman who was checking me out had this like, why are you paying for this woman? Like, she's so horrible. Right. And the woman was even so rude when it was all said and done to turn around and go, why would you do that? And like walked off with her food. And I, and I didn't say anything. I thought, you know what? At the end of the day, I have to answer for how I am and who I was as a person. And I'm going to be the bigger person here. So when she walked out the door, the, you know, the, the woman who is the cashier said, why would you have done that? She was so mean and horrible to you. And I said, you know what? I have to answer for my own actions at the end of the day. You know, and I don't know if there's a God out there. I don't know if there are pearly gates or how that works when it's all said and done, but I'll be damned if I'm going to go and stand in front of God or in front of pearly gates that I didn't know or believe existed and him question why I didn't help others. Uh, when it's all said and done, I mean, I'm doubling down here. I want to make sure that just in case, you know, whatever happens when this is all said and done, that I can stand before somebody and say, you know what, I did the best I could. I did what I could for others. I tried really hard to be a good person and I got to answer for me. I don't have to answer for that woman who was rude and horrible to people and ungrateful. I don't yeah, have to stand have before to answer anybody. For herself. And I think if more people would would look at life like that and say, you know what, you know, because we all question, is there a God? Is there a what? What happens after? You know, but you know what, if you live life as you don't know and you don't know what happens in the end, but you know what, if it's a matter of were you a good person and did you do for others and did you, you know, did you give of yourself and give unconditionally? I think if everybody lived that life, I mean, first of all, we would we would obtain world peace, and, and I can't even imagine what an amazing world this would be if everybody just lived that that philosophy of you never know, you never know what you're going to have to answer for at the end. But that's how I try to live: is you know what? I don't have to answer for anybody but my own actions, how I raised my children, how I was as a, as a person, as a human being and you know what what was my contribution on earth while I was here and so that's how I try to live life and I, I wish everybody could I could just you, you know you just wish it's this that simple to me it's like it's that simple I wish everybody could get it and unfortunately you know, not everybody's going to get it and more people are concerned about what others are doing or what they're not doing 
You know, and I say to people all the time, you don't have to answer for them in the end. You don't have to answer for their actions or their non-actions. You are responsible for you. What are you going to do with your life? And it's just that simple to me. Absolutely. I mean, it's like me and Jason, you know, our thing is, is kids. You know, I grew up in a broken home with some really shitty things that happened to me, you know, but growing up in that, you know, I decided long ago that I wanted to help other kids. I didn't want them to go through that. I wanted to break that cycle, you know, and if we can change the world one kid at a time, you know, that's what we're going to do. That's where our heart is. And that's, you know, that's why we do this podcast is just to try to inspire others to find their passion, to find their way to find that thing. If it's not kids, find something, you know, find something and grab hold of it and grab tightly and, and try to make it better. You know, we're all here. We all live on this earth together. We're all walking the same, the same streets, the same paths, but do something about it. You know, make it. Absolutely. I'm reminded of the quote by um, Josh Shipp. I don't know if you know who Josh is. He's, he talks a lot about foster care and uh, cause he came through his own journey. And uh, there's a quote by him. It's I'm going to get this, this wrong. I'm sure, but it's more or less every child is one caring adult away from being a success. And that's, that's our thing. You know, that's, we, we are trying to, at the best of our ability, be that one caring adult. And exactly. That's where we're at. And, and if that's, if that's somebody else's thing, I mean, they should chase that too. But if it's not, you know, finding that thing that where you can help the world be a better place, you can leave it, leave it better. You know, what is it? The, uh, the Cub Scouts had a, had a motto, leave no trace behind, right? And the whole idea was mm-hmm. that wherever you go, you leave it looking better than, than it was when you got there. And I, I think that's such a great metaphor for life. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, one thing, um, because I am a mother of three children, and my children are grown. My youngest is 20. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm on the radio and talk about things, pet peeves mostly, but one of the things that gets me more than anything is parents who don't embrace raising your children to be good human beings. Um, I can't implore enough on parents. If you had that responsibility, I mean, you were given that responsibility to be a parent and you have children, whether you chose those children through foster parenting or, you know, you have children, we have a, we have a moral responsibility to raise good human beings that, um, that we're proud of and that do good on this earth. I mean, there, you, you have a child and you have a 50, 50 chance of them being, you know, a complete a complete horrible person or completely caring and selfless and and whatnot why you don't take that responsibility to its fullest to raise children because you know there are a lot of awful children out there I mean that there there are awful people that grow up to be awful adults let me put it that way um and you have a we have a responsibility as parents to raise children to make them a better future for for humanity, you know, and so I just, you know, when you've got parents and I see it all the time, you know, they come in my tattoo shop and, and I'm one of the few tattoo shops that will allow parents to bring their children with them. 
um, because I feel like it's it's kind of a part of a process. And kids want it, they're curious and they want to they want to know and they want to see what's going on. And so I do see a lot of kids and the amount of kids, you know, the amount of parents that just they bring their kids in and they hand them their own cell phone and they set them on the couch up front, you know, and they basically, you know, it's like their, their cell phone is the babysitter for the kids. I it just is so bothersome to me um, that you it's just so easy to give your kid a device and send them on their way and not really raise children. They don't interact Mm -hmm. with their kids. They don't interact with them. They have a tablet or a phone and, and that's the babysitter a screen, you know, life, life lessons. Exactly. You know, and just being, you know, that one-on-one and, you know, it just seems so easy right now to give your kid a device and send them on their way. And you know what, get out of my face here, take my phone, you know, and, and the, to me, it blows my mind. Cause I think to myself, like you are an adult and you are handing your adult cell phone to your, I've, I've seen people hand them to three and four year old kids. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you are an adult with an adult cell phone with Lord knows what content and access to what content on that phone. But your go-to for parenting is to hand your cell phone to your four-year-old child and send them on their way. Um, it blows my mind. And, you know, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves is these these other factors to be babysitters for your child instead of parenting, whether that be the video games or the, you know, the tablets and the devices and whatever that thing is that is, you know, it's not human interaction. It, this is your babysitter now, get out of my face. And no, it's a scary thought. I, I think about, you know, as my childhood, we didn't have that, you know, and then as my kids, my kids are that, you know, they're millennials. And so they're that, kind of teetering on there were cell phones but they were flip phones but you know they kind of had the phone thing and they were doing the texting and and then as they got a little older it became smartphones and stuff I can't imagine the children nowadays that are you know that are your young your toddlers you know your elementary kids with the access to the devices and the things that they have now as opposed to me not having any of that to my kids kind of being teetering on the edge of, of that happening. And, you know, just seeing what kind of adults are growing right now. And, and it's scary to me because for one thing, these kids are who are going to make the decisions for me as an elderly person. These are going to be, this is going to be the generation who makes the call on my social security and, and the things that happen to me as as an elderly adult. So it scares me to see how quickly parents are to just disinvolve themselves from raising children and to give them devices. And that be the, that's who's raising your children in essence is devices and they're learning from devices. And and I just, you can't tell me that they're, I'm not going to say devices don't have a purpose and that they there isn't some good out of that, but that's not the human interaction and the compassion that we need to be growing in society. Um, and it just scares me that that's dwindling and that it's more, you know, this is becoming more common that devices and cell phones and, and the video gaming world is who's raising our children right now. When I get off of here and go tell my son that, um, that Madame Voodoo said 
he can't play Xbox anymore. I can send him to your house when he starts to argue. <laughs> no, I mean, in shape. <laughs> house, of, house of, I don't know what, but <laughs> it'll, it'll need to be the house of pain at that point because it's going to take a while to get him get him off of the idea that he needs to play video games. Because if you don't right. get enough video, games, you will actually die. I don't know if you know that or not. I, you know what? I I can say that. And my husband, who's in the other room playing video games, who who absolutely <laughs> hates when I get on the conversation of video games. Uh, he, he's like, I, you always just play video games. You always just, you know, video. And I'm sorry to me that there are some factors there that are a little bothersome. Um, video, my, my kids weren't really obsessed with video games. You know, they weren't. I'm not going to say I didn't have one that kind of was in there. But uh, for the most part, you know, they weren't really video game junkies. And I know, you know, video games in, in certain situations are fine. You know, my husband and I we, will argue on the video game thing. And I'll say, you know, but it was different. He goes, well, I, I had video games. I grew up on video games. I played video games. You played freaking Pong, dude. You played Donkey Kong, okay? You were playing <laughs> Call of Duty when you were, you know, seven years old. You were right. playing Shooting everybody Pac-Man. up. And... <laughs> right. It was a whole different situation of a yellow no, bubble. We have a whole, with, you know. a whole technology thing here in the house, and, you know, our kids get pretty upset. There's quite a few of our children that don't have cell phones, and that's a big issue because – Kids in kindergarten now have cell phones, and I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah, my dad comes home and he's talking about a cell phone. I'm like, look, your brother's going to be a freshman next year, and he hasn't got a cell phone yet. You got a ways to wait, bud. Yeah, I mean, technology. We try not to let technology rule our home, you know, because of it just a little bit, and it can get totally out of hand. But I will say one of the, we recently learned. Um, we interviewed a gal from I don't know if you're familiar with um, Bark.us. It's an app that um, where they, they actually monitor what's going on in your kid's uh, phone. And it's, it's mm-hmm. actually a pretty cool idea because they look at it and they, they scan all the different platforms. They've got a gazillion platforms they scan. And they don't like send you a copy of all your kid's text, right? Because <clears throat> quite frankly, I don't want to know what, what, you know, Raven said at lunch at the lunch table today. It's, I, I don't have the time to search through that. <laughs> but it searches for, for keywords. And it searches for key phrases and different conversations. And if there's, if it looks like, you know, like Snapchat's a big one. And there are so many online predators on Snapchat. And uh, it searches through that. And it sees, if it sees something that it looks as a, a predatory or a grooming conversation, it'll send you an alert with a snippet and say, hey, you want to pay attention to this. It looks for things that mm-hmm. involve self-harm. It looks for things that involve possible drug use. And it gives you, it'll send a parent a snippet if there's something to be concerned about, but it doesn't give you everything. So thank God there's, there's a platform like that out there that is doing it. And I think that the part that blows my mind is that they've got this, right? They've got this figured out. Why in the world don't all these other platforms have this and just go ahead and, and send that out to parents? I don't know, but I'm glad they're there to do the job because, you know, because we're, we're not too far from that place with our own teenagers you know, of having that. And so having the ability to, to pay attention to that is really important because, you know, we, with bio kids is one thing, you know, that's important. If you have a kid who's been in the foster care system, who has probably experienced some form of abuse or neglect, has some trauma in their life, they're more likely to, to be victims of, of predatory behavior in the future. So just being yeah. aware of that and paying attention and putting your efforts towards the important things and having that relationship, that's the other side of it. 
build that relationship ahead of time with your kids. You build that relationship with, you know, if it's a foster kid or an adopted kid who's in your life, you build those relationships so that you can have those conversations with a kid about these sorts of things. So they're not hiding it from you. They don't know how to handle it. Oh yeah. You know, too many parents just hand, hand phones and tablets and turn it to a babysitter and you know, my kids not bother me. So it's all good. They just don't worry about it. Yeah. I have a, I've gotten, you know, a profile on most of the apps that I see out there and I look into it and I downloaded Snapchat and, um, you know, had, was going to use it as, as a little bit of a, a platform to maybe even do some, uh, some, do some promoting. Yeah. Promote the podcast here. And so I had a profile that's called foster care UJ, I think it was, I think a day Maybe yeah, two like right at a day after after I had opened that profile, first started that profile before I got my first unsolicited picture of some stranger's penis, and I'm like, whoa! Oh wow! What the? You know who does this, right? I mean, if if it's listed, if it had to pick a gender, it says male because I put it up there, and the name is starts with foster care, and that's who you choose to send that to. I mean, wow. how much, yeah, how much more at risk are our kids who, if you've got, you know, a 14 year old girl and you hand her a profile is going to get more hits than that, you know, from predators, but it's, it's out there for, for boys as well. Like it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's a dangerous place out there. So as a parent, you have to just oh. be so involved in that because we're in a different generation. You know, we had video games when I was a kid. I remember, you know, Mario Atari. and Luigi doing their thing on the no, TV screen at my Atari. friend's house. Well, we had, well, we didn't have the Atari. Our friends did. We, we never had it. We weren't that cool. But, you know, it wasn't online connected. It wasn't that sort of danger. But now it's, as a parent, you have to be really involved and know that there's, there's like seven levels of danger out there and you're just, just getting into it, you know, once you get through those. First oh, yeah. I, uh, I could, I have, um, a, a beautiful, absolutely model, gorgeous niece. And I remember some a few years ago when Instagram first came out and I got an Instagram account and, you know, and I'm very social media present. I remember my niece, she was a ballet dancer, absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, I mean, model worthy, did ballet. And she was, she was, well, Aunt Melissa, this is how, you, you know, this is what you need to do on Instagram. And this is Instagram and so and so. And I added her on Instagram and and I'm looking and, and I actually have been on Instagram for a little while. And, you know, and I did my post and it was mostly about tattoos I had done and, you know, travel that I did. And I'm looking at my niece's Instagram and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I look at my Instagram and I'm like, I've got like 600 followers. And I'm six followers. And then I look at my niece, who is this 14, 15 year old girl with thousands of followers. And I said to myself, what the heck is going on? That my 14, 15 year old niece has thousands of followers and I'm a public figure. And I don't mean this in a way like, wait a minute, how are you cooler than me? But more of an alerting, like an alarming, wait, why does a 14 to 15 year old girl have thousands of followers and so I look in it and I pull up her I pull up her pro, um, her profile and I'm looking at her posts of her photos and all of them are beautiful photos of her in ballet and you know and just it caught mid dance and you know just beautiful photos and I start clicking on her photos and she's and she had said to me, Amelissa, it's all about the hashtag. It's all about the hashtag. You have to hashtag. If you want to have followers, you got to hashtag. And I go, I go right on. 
okay. You know, she was, but now, now Aunt Melissa, don't go crazy with the hashtags. You know, there's a fine line of too many hashtags and, you know, and stuff. And so I start looking and I'm like, wait a minute. She told me you shouldn't have more than X amount of hashtags. And I'm looking at her hashtags. And I'm and and so then I'm like, well, these are the most bizarre hashtags. Like, why there's a sort of you big, you know, pirouette and your, you know, hashtag. It was like the most bizarre hashtag. I'm like, well, that's really weird. What does that even mean? And I click on one of these hashtags, and all of a sudden, I'm dropped in the middle of Porn Central of like all of these naked women. And I'm like, what is going on? So I start clicking on the hashtags. And here's her. It's just this beautiful 14-year-old girl. And she's in a, you know, and she's fully dressed in, you know, beautiful costume ballerina wear, you know, um, tiaras and just absolutely gorgeous. And her, she's dropped in the middle of just the most porn. I mean, just the most ridiculous porn I've ever seen. I'm like, what in the heck? So I start looking, and it's like the most bizarre hashtags. And I'm like, well, I don't understand why is she hashtagging this stuff, and why is she in the middle of all this? But here's what you know, I ended up. I get a hold of her, her dad, which is my brother, and say, you need to, um, you need to stop what you're doing right now, and you need to take a look with me because there's a problem. When a 14 year old girl has thousands and thousands of followers, and I start looking at her followers, and they're I mean, they're older men. I mean, they're men like they're 40, 50, 60 year olds. Right. And I'm so about Uncle my, Josh here. Right. And so here's my I, I feel bad for my brother because I'm like I'm the the here I am the bringer of doom, you know, and I'm like, dude, I don't want to. I don't want to be that aunt, but uh, you need to get involved right now and you need to check out what's going on. And, you know, and I show him, he's, oh my God, I feel bad because I'm like, I can't even imagine if somebody brought this to me, you know? Yeah. It's the online Anything. world is a scary place. It's like they will take any little thing and here's this beautiful young girl in, in ballerina, you know, and just in purely innocent photos and drop them in the middle of all of this debauchery and just ridiculousness and here she is now target for all of these older you know pedophiles and and that's the world that we live in and so if you as a parent aren't taking that initiative and keeping an eye on what's going on and keeping you know keeping your hand in what and how your children are being raised this is the kind of thing that happens unintentionally, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And a lot of times it's unintentional. I do not believe for one minute that my 14 year old niece felt a need to like become pedophile central over here. But that's, you know, it's like they'll take the most innocent thing and make it so that somebody's preying on that. And you have to be so present as a parent and aware of what's going on nobody says you have to micromanage every little move that your children are doing and what's going on but you got to be aware you know and there are predators out there and like you said when you when you take responsibility for foster children those children have been already abused on levels that we can't wrap our own minds around and they're so impressionable uh, impressionable and it's so easy for them to become targets and so 
as parents, you have a responsibility and it's not to just throw a device in your kid's hand and that's the babysitter and call it a day. You have to be aware of what's going on because it's a horrible world out there. And then if you don't, you know, get a hold of it and manage it and really kind of block a lot of that, there's no telling what your children end up seeing and what, what becomes. And, and especially with human trafficking, the way it is now, it's just so we're, we're making it so easy for children to become such targets. Oh, absolutely. We are. So the other day I was, I was scrolling through Facebook um, and there's new stickers now that you can put on your windows for different things like children that are autistic and, you know, just different needs to let um, first responders know that, you know, there may be an issue here if, if my child doesn't respond or things like that. There's stickers that you can put on your car windows, your house windows and stuff. And I remember growing up that they used to have a firefighter sticker that you could put on your child's window to alert firemen that, you know, hey, there's a child in, in this room. So if there was a fire, that would be the first place that they would go. You know, and I remember having these stickers and I got on the group and I was like, hey, you know, do you, you know, how do you get a hold of these stickers? Do they still make these so that, you know, because we live in a, in a house that has an upstairs and that's where our children are is upstairs. And one of the ladies from the group responded back to me. She's like, we do have those stickers, but we really don't give those stickers out anymore because it alerts predators to where children's rooms are. And like, wow. it, it just, it made me pause. I'm like, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that I'm sending my children out to. I'm sending them out yeah. to this world with all these potentials to be harmed. And it, it's really scary as a parent right now. There's just well, so yeah, and, and you, you have to think about that you never had to think about before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, re, I had one of those stickers on my bedroom window when I was growing up. And, and you're right. We've become society has become such a place that the most innocent of innocent things becomes such an ordeal of no, we can't do that anymore because now, you know, predators know where to find children. And, you know, and it's like, God, when do we become that society that, you know, the, the least little, most innocent, harmless way of keeping your children safe is now putting your children in danger. Well, I think the other side of it is that, you know, now we we know that we have this issue, you know, we, we, as a, as the adults now have the job to raise a generation who can overcome that in their generation. You know, we, we have to raise these kids knowing that these dangers are there and also raise them with the ability to look at this as something to overcome because my God, do we have some scary things in this world, but as long as we don't stare at the fear and we do something about it and we work towards change, I think that's, that's probably our real answer is that we're, we're going to do the best we can with our kids and hopefully they'll learn from that being modeled for them and they'll reach out to a future that'll be better and brighter for all of us. I agree. And hopefully, you know, and, and what's, what's kind of, it's funny that we're doing this, um, this podcast in the middle of a stay home order and, and I saw a meme yesterday and my husband actually pointed it out, but I it was like a week ago, you see everybody sitting in their house, parents and kids, and they're all holding devices in the same room. And they're all, you know, everybody's got their own device, but they're in the room together as a family. And now under this quarantine, the stay home order, um, 
you see everybody in a park and they're riding bikes and they're hiking. And, and it was like a meme where it was like a week ago, we were all on devices in the same room, ignoring each other. But now during this stay home order quote, uh, we're all out at, at public parks and, and in national, you know, in parks, hiking and biking and swimming and fishing and, and all of that. So many people in the time that we are supposed to be staying home and we're supposed to be protecting ourselves and kind of quarantining ourselves from the world. Now everybody wants to get off their devices and they want to be involved. And they want to be out in the world and they want to be doing all of this stuff. And part of me says, you know what? This is almost like as much as it's inconvenient. And Lord knows I own a business that's highly impacted. And, you know, we can't be in business until this whole thing is lifted. So, you know, um, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking, this is almost a reset button on life. It's forcing parents to actually have to interact with their kids. And they're, you know, and it's like you're seeing, and I'm seeing parents who I know any other time would, you never see posts about them and their kids and what they're doing. And it's like now I'm seeing them and their kids are outside and they're doing stuff and they're posting that they're, you know, they're doing activities and this and that. And it's almost like the, the stay home order in this moment in time is a reset button on life and having parents actually have to really be parents. And, and it's kind of interesting. It's almost like a social experiment that you're witnessing of this is where we were. And a week ago now, all of a sudden we're all out and we're, you know, like you're telling us we can't leave our house. Wait a minute. No, by God, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hike and I'm going to bike and me and my <laughs> kids are going to go have a picnic in the yard and you're not going to tell us stay in our house right now so it's like this social experiment that that you're like witnessing and I said to my husband last week I said you know what we need we need people to start documenting everything that they're seeing and everything as it's changing because it's almost like this is a period of history that needs to be recorded for future generations to see this is how we live. And in a matter of a week or two weeks or a month, this is who we had to change and adapt and become. And it's almost like we're watching a his history be made. And parents have to go back to, you know, it's almost like we're taking it back a couple of decades and how we're dealing with raising children. Like oh, two weeks ago, it was devices or babysitters. And now it's, oh, crap. Okay you know what, we need to get these kids out and about, we need to get them out and they need to like, you know, get out in nature. And, and so it's almost like hit, we're watching history unfold and do some stuff that needs to be documented heavily right now. Well, it's almost like we went back 250 years and became rebellious colonists again. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're not exactly. going to follow what, what the government's telling us to do. And, and, and it's for the, for the better, I think, because I, I've seen a lot of that myself, you know, we, um, you know, and we'll go take a walk every now and then. The park's not too far from us. And we've done that, you know, ever since we've lived in this house. It's just, a, it's close enough to the park that we can do that with the kids. But it's strange now to see the number of kids out in the driveway with their parents playing that I'm just not used to seeing that. And it's great because, you know, whether it's a bio kid, a foster kid, whatever it is, that connection is, is important. That's that's a piece that you're going to hold on to forever. That's That's what builds a relationship that will hopefully convince my children to put me in a nursing home where they don't beat me too much when I get older, you know, <laughs> I want, <laughs> right. I want them to care enough I've for already, me to take care of me a little bit. 
I've already got one kid that's always threatening to put me in a nursing home at any given moment. Um, <laughs> my goal is to be such a good parent that, that that nursing home is in Bora Bora. If you do your job right, hopefully that's where you end up. You you I've always but, told yeah. mine that I want to nurse, uh, what is it, a... Um, a retirement castle. That's what it That's was. That's what I've told Minus that I want a retirement castle. Oh, nice. I know my son, my son that still lives at home. He's here. We are, and we're in this whole thing, and it's in its crazy time. And my husband and I, who are both tattooers, and we own a tattoo shop together, and he works at another tattoo shop. So we're both unemployed right now. And the only person working in our house is our 20-year-old son, who's a firefighter and works for handicapped services. So he has to go to homes and, and still continue to work. His kids work in doubles. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, you know what? I've raised you your whole life. I've taken care of you. I've supported you. I've provided for you. Now's your time to shine. You're going to take care of us while we're <laughs> down. You know, it, and if you do your job right as a parent, you have a child who who understands that and, and he knows and God love him all day long. He's a great kid. He's probably one of the most shining examples of, of a kid raised right that there is out there. But, you know, he he's doing it and he says, you know what, I'm doing it. You know, it's it's fine. And, and that kid, he'll get paid and he will hand over his check and go, you know, do what you need to do. As long as I got gas money and some money to go out and eat, I'm, you know, I'm okay. And so hopefully if you're raising your kids right, that's how it plays out. And, you know, because that's where we're at. And it's just so funny because my other son who I had said something to, you know, was like, well, you know, I need you to take care of me. And he goes, that's what you got Nolan for. That's what you got Nolan for. And I said, well, you know, he's doing it. He and but this is the this is the other kid that would put me in a nursing home in a heartbeat all day long and we joke about it and, and I love all my kids but yeah that's where we're at and you know um so I'm watching people on social media and I'm watching these parents and this whole thing about school being canceled until you know the end of the school year which means basically september you know late august september is when these kids are going back to school and now these parents are forced into a corner and have to teach their kids and have to continue that education and they have to you know they have to do things with their kids and it i'm just it's blowing my mind to think, some you know, of them are what just are terrified. Oh yeah. You know, and I think some of them are really going to step up to the plate and they're really going to get it done and they're going to, and they're going to do a great job. And I pray that they all do a great job because like I said, in the end, these are the kids who are going to take care of us in our elderly years and make the decisions on our, you know, on, on our incomes and our lives and, and just our quality of life as elderly people. Um, and hopefully then these parents don't drop the ball, but I'm sitting here thinking, wow, like I can't, I'm glad that my kids are grown and I don't have to be in that position because I've been, you know, I mean, I've raised three kids and I've, you know, basically raised quite a few foster kids in, in my years, but just looking at it, I'm thinking to myself, like I'm watching these parents and I am just not envious right now what they have to deal with and just wow you you're even more responsible than being just a parent like you have to be the teacher and the parent and oh my god all the roles these parents are having to step into right now just to get their kids through all of this and you know when we're dealing with this crisis and trying to keep kids you know 
at a level, you know, at an even keel and not panic. And wow, what, you know, what a time to be a parent right now. I'm, I'm just, I have to say, I am just, oh God, what's the word? Like, I don't want to say I'm, I'm not envious, um, but I, I sympathize with them because Lord knows I had it hard enough as it was and I didn't have a pandemic to deal with and then have to like teach my own children on top of just being a parent and the normal parenting responsibilities. So kudos to the parents who are doing it now because gosh, I mean, I know your hands are full and it's, it's a hard enough society as it is about what we're going through right now. Oh yeah. And it sounds like you did a great job, especially for somebody who came through her own struggles as a, as a young kid and, and came through an interesting background as well. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like you, you've done a great job. If you are lucky enough to have children, whether those are children that you gave birth to or you chose, you know, through adoption and fostering or just through marriage and they're, you know, your stepchildren, whatever that, however it is that you have children in your life, you know, to make the most of it, take time and raise good children who you are proud to call human beings, uh, you know, because there are a lot of awful people out there and awful adults. And we have a responsibility as parents to to raise good human beings. And I just hope that parents take that to heart more than anything and work really hard. You can, you know, just do the best you can to raise a good human being because the world needs more of them. Absolutely. We do need more good human beings. And, you know, I think we spent the afternoon speaking to one today and I we just want to say thank you so much for everything you do and continue to do because you're an awesome woman who does a lot of awesome well, things. You. And, you know, thank I you. see the community around you and I see the things that you do, you know, and you're making a difference. And those are the people that, you know, we're trying to get it out there for people to see that, you know, there are people that are making differences and so thank you for well and thank you to you guys because i know you guys are you know you're getting it done as well and it it takes it takes a huge uh, you know a huge heart to do what you guys do and lord knows i've lived that life and and it takes a special person to take in other people's children and raise them like they're their own and to open their homes and their hearts and you guys are getting it done and you guys are the real heroes out there man i can't even say enough to you guys you know because i've been there and you guys are really you know the heroes out there so keep on doing what you're doing well, I appreciate that, Melissa. But the truth is, it's a, it's either a big heart or a lack of sanity. And I'm not going to say which one it is because that's questionable <laughs> again, on, on different days. <laughs> if you guys want to connect with Melissa on any of her social media stuff, go find Madam Voodoo's House of Ink on Facebook and Instagram. Also, keep an eye out for her on Tattoos and Turnpikes, the show scheduled to release in June of 2020 on YouTube. You can find links to that and all the other stuff either on the show notes or on the website over at fostercarenation.com. Go to the podcast notes tab and you can find it there. And as always, thanks for listening.